Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest Dare Daniel mini episode. On this brief little show, we're going to talk about a few different things that are Dare Daniel related. We're going to talk about next week's episode. We're going to talk a little bit about last week's review of King Arthur Legend of the Sword. We're going to answer our question of the week. That is worst sequel of all time. And we're also going to read a few of your movie dares. But before we move on, let me introduce my co-host. It is... Corky. Oh, hello, everybody. McDonald. Cut me off. You, you, <laughs> you interrupted me in the middle of my wonderful avocado toast. You interrupted Daniel. me in the middle of my wonderful intro. I'm in the eating avocado toast because we are doing a remote recording of the Dare Daniel mini episodes right now at the wonderful Sac City Brew House Tap House Tip. Yep. Say that again. Sac City Brews right here in Tahoe Park neighborhood. So if you hear some noises behind us snacking around, uh, you know, anything out of the ordinary, that's somebody else's fault. But if you're in Sacramento and you want a wonderful brunch and some brews on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I just had a fantastic smoked trout sandwich. So if that sounds good to you, you should come down here. You inhaled it too. I did. I did. I took like three seconds. So Corky, first things first, let's talk about our review next week. I think we're doing something, you know, as we've kind of been doing the show for a little while now. And, you know, there's other podcasts that review bad movies. Plenty. And we've had some overlap with some. I mean, it kind of can't be helped. You know, there's only so many bad movies in the world. Right. Right. I don't think anyone has ever done what we are about to do. You've heard of Fifty Shades of Grey? I have. Yeah. Have you heard of its two sequels? (laughs) Do tell. Well, it is a trilogy of films based on the trilogy of novels by E.L. James. It is called the Fifty Shades Trilogy, and we are reviewing literally all three films, all three films in one single episode. Let's hear the trailer. So this is just an interview for the newspaper. I just have a couple of questions. Mr. Gray, we'll see you now. What was he like? He was polite, intense, smart, really intimidating. Do you have any interests outside of work? What about you? I'd like to know more about you. There's really not much to know about me. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> I am. To what do you owe your success? I exercise control in all things, Miss Steele. It must be really boring. I'm incapable of leaving you alone. Then don't. I had a rough start in life. You should steer clear of me. I don't do romance. My tastes are very singular. You wouldn't understand. Enlighten me then. So that is the Fifty Shades of Grey trailer. We just played Fifty Shades of Grey. Did we? How many trailers trailers did we play? Did we just mash all three together? Yeah, that was mashed together, Moby style. 
That was amazing. DJ Shadow <laughs> came in and really helped us out with that. Thank you so much, DJ Shadow. Um, but yeah, that is Fifty Shades of Grey. That is the first film in the trilogy that was released in 2015. The other two are Fifty Shades Darker from 2017 and Fifty Shades Free from 2018. We're going to review all three of them. So 50, 50, 50. 50. 50, 50. That is 150 shades, yes. buddy. So whether you have seen all of these films, maybe you saw the first one and were like, sequels? I don't think so. And you just quit right there. Maybe you haven't seen any of them, but you're curious. Maybe you're just a fan of literature and you love the book so much, but you haven't brought yourself to see the film. <laughs> we're going to go over them in horrifying detail. Horrifying detail? Is that the word I wanted? Yeah, it is. That's definitely the word you want to put in a preview. Boom. For someone to check out. Get horrified. And check out. You're going to be sick. You're going to be made <laughs> sick by this. <laughs> so that is the Fifty Shades trilogy. We're reviewing all three films, all five and a half hours of the movie. So much what 50. Hour? So much shades. Oh, we're going to be so chafed by the end of this. Oh, rubbed raw. All right. So tune in next week for that. That if you want to play along, those movies are available in all your usual VOD services, yes. your iTunes, your Google Play, your Voodoo, what have you. If you want to sync them uh, while the movie plays, put on maybe Velvet Underground's first album. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Just <laughs> playing all three at the same time. Yes. Just Venus and Furs, though, right? Just over and over again. Over and over. So, Corky, let's go back to last week's review. Do we have to? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. It was Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Yeah. Uh, this movie, if you want to catch up with it, our review is already up. Um, it's on the usual VOD services. It's also on HBO Go and HBO Now. But um, watch it without having to spend money on it, please. Yeah, try not to spend too much money on it. Don't, um, don't give Steve Menachem any money. <laughs> Corky, do you have anything to add? Uh, you know, now that uh, the, this movie, the, our review belongs to history, is there anything you like to add? Well, we've talked about it in hor- horrifying detail. Absolutely. The more I talked about it, the more I hated it. Oh, like, wow. I liked it less. Yeah. You know what I mean? More so it's one of those like we the review convinced you to go from reverse dare to dare, didn't it? No, I wasn't even going to go reverse dare. I, d- I did not like this movie. No, you just didn't like it. No, it was going to be a dare. Okay. Always be a dare, but now it bordered double dare okay. when I talked about it because I was like, "Yeah, they did nothing. Yeah. It starts with something, they run around, then it ends with something." Yeah, I will say a, a few thoughts on this movie. One thing I didn't get to bring up is so Jude Law, who I think we both thought was probably the best part of this movie and was severely underused, absolutely and the best part of the movie. He's playing the evil king, and there's a scene where he's sort of dealing with like king business, mm-hmm. and he's sort of slumped on the throne. And it kind of occurred to me that if you're going to be an evil king posture is your enemy right (laughs) like good posture you don't like if you're sitting up really straight with like good lumbar support and everything you're a good king right if you're gonna be an evil king you need to slump okay and he actually is like he he, i think he has his legs on the arms of the of the the throne at one point he's like dangling with a little thing so jude law does a really good evil king kind of slump here he was just just laid back (laughs) seriously Easily the best part of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I wanted to say, I think during our review, you, you had a uh, a moment where you said uh, that you know Guy Ritchie was was much better attuned to doing these sort of like crime and heist sort of movies. I don't think I rebutted it, and I will say that yes, I agree. That's more his milieu. But where this movie worked for me was actually in the crazy fantasy giant elephant kind of moments. Sure. When this became Guy Ritchie doing Guy Ritchie, I just totally tuned out. Yeah, because the parts that worked for you were the parts he stole from other successful Absolutely, movies. Absolutely, mostly Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 
And then the other thing I want to say is we talked a little bit about uh, critics and critic perceptions uh, in the intro to the episode. And I will say that it is, it's one of those things where I feel like when there's a movie like King Arthur that is a big budget movie, the critics hate it, and it turns out to be a bomb – the reaction is always, oh, critics, oh, they're yeah. so powerful. They said don't see it, and everyone listened to them. They're totally powerful. But then when the opposite happens, and the critics are like, this movie's garbage, and it turns out to be a hit, those exact same people are like, oh, critics, you're totally powerless. No one listens to you. And it's like, <laughs> God, it has to be one or the other, right? You can't just be both of those things. Critics just got to work on their posture, man. More people <laughs> will listen with good lumbar support for critics. <laughs> So that is King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. That episode is available to listen now on iTunes and all your usual podcast services. Corky, let's move on. Let's do it. Question of the week. Sure. Worst sequel of all time. And boy, do we get a lot of them these days. Yes. Oh, my God. That's true, right? So many sequels and threequels and prequels and sidequels and mechquels and mechquels <laughs> and schmeckquels and schmeckquels and glaivels. Lady. Oh, boy. So, Corky, do you have a pick for worst sequel of all time? And maybe like a rationale behind your pick as well. Absolutely. So, we took things off tables. Like, we take the obvious ones off the table, kind of. Yeah. We, we both kind of like doing that, coming up with a, a unique take. So, we take the obvious ones. So, I wasn't going to say Godfather 3, which I think is the granddaddy goat of bad sequels. Right. From what the originals were to what that was. Absolutely. The, 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 the gap. Mine, my personal, is Caddyshack 2. Oh, that's a great pick. Caddyshack that is 2. a fantastic pick. Everything that was great about the slobs versus snobs, right. Caddyshack, and Bill Murray's amazing improvised performance, yeah. and fantastic. Ted Knight is kind of my favorite character in Caddyshack. Sure. You know, or uh, gives my favorite performance, yeah. I should say. They tried, you see them try to do it in Caddyshack yeah. 2. Dan Aykroyd, what the hell was he doing? He plays doing? like his cousin or brother or something like that? With this high-pitched, weird voice, but he does oh, a Dan... And this is when Dan Aykroyd started getting heavy. Yeah. So it was really weird as a kid to see Dan Aykroyd skinny in, uh, <laughs> in Saturday Night Live clips. And then, like, who's this fat guy? <laughs> super fat doing a bad Bill Murray in Caddyshack. <laughs> yeah, it was like no one from Caddyshack is in it except for Chevy Chase. Right. Um, who's just basically sleepwalking through the entire movie. But then to be like, but let's do avatars. Like, let's do avatars for everyone from Caddyshack who we really like. So, like, Jackie Mason is basically Rodney Dangerfield, yeah, right? That's exactly And it. Robert Stack is basically Ted Knight. Yep. And uh, Randy Quaid is uh, Brian Doyle Murray, I guess. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> He's an amalgam of like four different characters. Spalding. Ackroyd is Murray. Jonathan Silverman is uh, Michael O'Keefe. Yeah, exactly. So bad idea to begin with, but then to, to be like, let's directly reference the yeah. first movie, right? So to show just how bad it is. So that's my personal pick. But the one I want to recommend people go check out is Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 for my favorite line of dialogue <laughs> in any movie every time ever. It's garbage day. <laughs> Just go watch Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 for that scene alone. All right. So that's an enthusiastic recommendation of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. A single scene. Yes. A single moment from a single scene of Silent Night, Dead. Perhaps the And a strong condemnation of Caddyshack. They're too. both there. They're both double dares, but one's an enthusiastic double dare. <laughs> what I wanted was I didn't want to just go with a bad movie. but I wanted a bad film that is a sequel to a really good movie. Sure. Right? 
Because there's just lots of bad mo- sequels to bad movies. Yeah. There's yeah. like three Alvin and the Chipmunks sequels, right? <laughs> there's like, a Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. There's a Silent Night. They were like, the fir- there was unanswered questions from Silent Night, Deadly Night. We need to get in on this, right? Why, why is it a Deadly Night? <laughs> why is it Silent Night? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of good questions to be answered in the sequel. Um, but I wanted one that was a, a sequel to a good movie and one that really strays far from why the original was good. So I'm going to go with a little film that very few people have saw in the, in the cinemas or at on home video. It is called Basic Instinct Two. Oh yeah, aka Basic Instinct Two: Risk Addiction. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Paul Verhoeven. Literally one of the greatest directors of your generation. Hello, Doc Hollywood director Michael Caton Jones. <laughs> Uh, to be fair, he made a few good movies, but this is not one of them. Yeah. Uh, all of the zest, all of the satire, all of the outrageousness of the Paul Verhoeven version is completely gone. It's just another wan, soggy, red shoe diaries bullshit. The only person who returns in the first film is Sharon Stone, who just uh, looks and acts completely numb. Everything that made her... I mean, she's the best part of the first film, which yeah. is a really good film, and she's horrible in this. And yeah. she you don't get any sense of why people would be obsessed with her or why she's this magnet for people. Um, It's an absolutely brutal movie, a true slog. So unnecessary, so small, and so just uh, utterly devoid of life compared to the first, uh, the original Basic Instinct, uh, which was made like 15 years earlier. It's just a movie that just absolutely did not need to happen. Wow. So that's my pick for Worst Sequel, Basic Instinct 2. Uh... I want to give a special nod to Blair Witch Book of Shadows, which is an inconceivably bad movie. I just wasn't a huge fan of Blair Witch Project, so yeah. I can't say it was a huge uh, difference. I mean, it, was a, it was a significant difference, but just the fact that Blair Witch Book of Shadows happened and, again, is so utterly removed from what and why people responded to Blair Witch Project. It's just basically a shitty Uwe Ball-style horror movie. And I also want to just mention a few other franchises specifically that I think for especially for people from our generation started with like canon films and kind of just evolved into garbage. So I will say the Jaws franchise starting with Jaws and ending with Jaws the Revenge. Yeah. Uh, how about Indiana Jones starting with Raiders of Lost Ar- Raiders of the Lost Ark and ending at Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Haven't uh, seen it. Of course you got your Star Wars uh, versus your prequels and Solo. Really. Uh, Die Hard. Ending with Live Free or Die Hard and That's A Good right. Day to Die Hard. It's not a specific film, but more of a de-evolution of a franchise. The Silent Night, Deadly Night, going to Hanukkah, going eight, from two eight to three. Deadly Nights. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't a pick for the worst sequel of all time that differs from anything that we said, hit us up on social yeah. media. Go to daredaniel.com. Go to daredanielpod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know your pick. Worst sequel of all time. We want to hear what you have to say. So uh, these are dares that were submitted at daredaniel.com. Or, uh, so go there, hit the Submit a Dare button, or hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Dare Daniel Pod. The first dare that I have is from Matthew Doherty. Matthew dares us to watch a little film that I think we've both probably seen because we grew up in the 80s. It is called Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know this film. It is from 1987. It was directed by Chris Columbus. That was his first movie. That son of a bitch. Home Alone Man. Oh, boy. He made a couple. He made a lot of movies that we'll be uh, reviewing eventually Dutch? on the show. <laughs> was that John Hughes? Dutch was Howard Zeif, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, Written by John Hughes. Howard Zeif fans, hit me up. 
<laughs> uh, all, you, all you Zyph heads. But Chris Columbus, uh, Chris Living went on to Zyph do life. Mrs. Doubtfire, right. Bicentennial Man, Stepmom, and a lot of just things that are gone. Some we're going to visit someday. Exactly. This is like we could do a whole butt fun on Chris <laughs> Columbus. So, uh, Matthew, why did you dare us to watch this movie? He says, classic, sure, the first time. And when I was 12, now? I'm pretty sure I could fuck with the Lords of Hell. <laughs> uh, let's read the IMDb synopsis of this film. It says, a babysitter must battle her way through the big city after being stranded there with the kids she's looking after. It stars Elizabeth Shue as the babysitter. Anthony Rapp is in it. Keith Coogan. Vincent D'Onofrio. So some familiar faces there. Uh, Corky, have you seen this movie? I, well, yeah. I've seen it a million times. Have you seen it lately? When was the last time you saw it? I have daughters. I think I tried to make them watch it one time. Oh, that's a bummer. I liked it. Oh, it's awful, Quirky. I liked it. No, it's awful. I I will agree. I I remember seeing this in the theater when I was 10 or 11 with my family. Yeah. And thinking, okay, well, this is a fine little fun rom. And then went back and revisited it maybe two or three years ago and was like, oh, this is crazy racist. This (laughs) this is racist. Come on. The, the, the. The white people going the into a were black, the white people going into a black club scene happened in about seventy five percent of movies in the eighties. <laughs> so you just kind of have to accept that that's going to happen, right? You don't get off the stage unless you play in the blues, yeah, because that's just great. the movie is crazy racist. You, Even just the entire uh, like concept of the movie is racist, which is basically that they go into the inner city and they're white, and so it's scary. I think it was a nice hoop dreams esque breakdown. <laughs> Of inner city Chicago, <laughs> very sensitive to what not explored since Chirac. Like, oh my god! And of course, it's John Hughes and Christopher Columbus. So it's like those guys are all from Oak Park anyway. Did the Schirmer kids here are from mentioned? Oak Park. Yeah. So that is adventures in babysitting. Yep. Thank you very much to Matthew for the dare again. DareDaniel.com if you want to dare us to watch a movie. Our final dare of the show comes to us from another frequent dare, my good friend Mike Dub. What's up, Mike Dub? This is like his third. Yeah, Mike Dub. All right, coming in hard. Part of the Three Timers Club. Yeah, Mike Dub. Mike Dub dares us to watch another 80s movie. It is called Quicksilver. Mm. Corky, do you know Quicksilver? I do. It's a bicyclist movie. It's a bicycling movie with Kevin Bacon. And a mustache. Mike Dub describes it as footloose meets trading places, but on bicycles, but way worse than that sounds. Uh, it is directed by Tom Donnelly. It is from 1986. Tom Donnelly's only film. So that's, <laughs> that's a good <laughs> sign. Stars Kevin Bacon, Jamie Gertz, and your boy, Paul Rodriguez. Attaboy. <laughs> the, IMDb, uh, <laughs> the IMDb description is complete nonsense, I have to say. So I just went off the poster, and I'm going to say it in 80s, 80s trailer voice. Kevin Bacon is Jack Casey. He traded in his three-piece suit for a 10-speed and the streets. Winning is a feeling you'd never lose. <laughs> so that is Tom Donnelly's... That's the synopsis? Quicksilver. <laughs> that's from the poster. The okay. IMDb synopsis was complete gibberish. Okay, that's It was fine. like s- someone with dyslexia wrote that. So, but that's the thing. Like, If you don't know what this movie's about, you see the title Quicksilver, and then you just see winning is a... Is a what? I don't know what this movie's about. I have no idea. <laughs> And there's no picture of a bicycle. It's just sort of Kevin Bacon in one of those 80s poses where he's standing against his wall, a wall with his arms crossed. It, he's either like a mutant that can run really fast, <laughs> or he's a, a liquid metallic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. Quicksilver. 
So what is your memory of Quicksilver? Uh, my dad rented it one time mm-hmm. in the 80s, and Kevin Bacon was on a bicycle. Yeah. I, I remember my parents renting this one as well and watching it. And I remember getting to what is the big scene in the movie, which is like this crazy bicycle race. It's set in San Francisco. And there's like a bicycle. He, he, play, he, he plays like a stockbroker who goes broke and becomes a bicycle messenger. And San there's, Francisco, there's home a, of uh, Wall Street. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a race through San Francisco, which has lots of hills. And yeah. so it was a, I remember it being like, oh, my God, in the middle of this like insanely boring movie is like one of the greatest bicycle chase scenes of all time. So it's a, it's, it was well filmed? It was fantastic. Oh. And, it, and it was just like psychotic as well, like completely insane. Um, it kind of reminded me of there's oh, – fuck, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's a movie the bullet with – Premium of, Rush. Okay. Have you ever heard of Premium Rush? Yes, I have. It's a movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes. And, I heard it was uh, good. Michael F- oh, it's horrible. It's oh. absolutely horrible. <laughs> but all of my friends who were into bikes were like, oh, it's great, dude, because oh, okay. like the main character, it's like his whole thing is doing bicycle tricks. So like, there's one scene where he has to like escape from prison or something, and it's like – Somehow this warehouse has ramps everywhere. <laughs> like, and he's just skidding down them and stuff. But all my friends who were like way into bicycles were like, that's a good movie, dude. Yeah. No, it's really good. I, I thought the bicycle would look really good. It's like, bike guy you is, don't give a shit about cinema, dude. <laughs> Grown-up bike guy is such a unique culture. So, seriously. <laughs> When you see a man in his 30s on a BMX bike in your neighborhood, there's warrants on that person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's dodging. He's yeah, running away from more than some, just <laughs> some debt collectors. <laughs> so those are the dares that we got for you on this mini episode. Fantastic dares! Please keep those coming. Yeah, and do not confuse uh, this mini episode with our Minji episode, which Oof. will be next week with Fifty Shades of Grey. Ding, ding, ding! You went for that one. <laughs> hanging fruit hello so for this episode of dare daniel i'm daniel barnes and i am quirky mcdonald and i do know darren aronofsky movies i want to put that on the record the wrestler black swan fantastic movies i loved them i don't know where i thought why i thought he was out of me going and whit stillman and whit stillman (laughs) two filmmakers from the same era who are Completely dissimilar. You to could Darren not have the same, <laughs> more disparate Different movies. ethnicity, different everything. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Darren Aronofsky, I apologize for that. Darren Aronofsky, friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that you apologized to him. We almost, yeah, let's name it Darren Daniel. Darren Daniel. <laughs> so, for this episode, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Cork McDonald. And we'll say, we love you. Thank you, Sac City Brews. Neighborhood Tap House. Night-night.